Hello and welcome to Everyone Everywhere, the evangelism podcast brought to you by Church Army. Together we're talking about how to share Jesus in the everyday. In this episode, we're looking at what happens when Christmas doesn't meet our expectations. We'll be interviewing Church Army evangelist Maureen Greaves, who tells us her amazing and harrowing story of the worst Christmas imaginable. Merry Christmas, Hannah. Merry Christmas. This is our first ever podcast. That's really exciting. And it's also our Christmas special as well. Yay. What a great day. Introduce the jingle bells over the top. <laughs> Does that sound like jingle bells? Nope. <laughs> okay, we'll press on anyway. Hannah, why don't you tell us what you do at Church Army? I'm behind a lot of the digital here at Church Army. What about you, Chris? So I write the Catalyst magazine and our prayer diary, and I also find stories from around the UK and Ireland about what we're doing and where it's happening. Awesome. So because this is our Christmas episode, mm. I thought it'd be fun for us to do a few quick fire Christmas themed questions. Oh, great. You ready for this? I am. Okay. Mince pies, yay or nay? 100% yay. When does your Christmas tree go up? First of December every year, but I start listening to Christmas songs probably mid-November. You are keen. Favourite Christmas film? White Christmas every year because it's full of singing and snow and log fires and it's just warm. Awesome. Now, Hannah, a few Christmas questions for you. What's your favourite Christmas song? Definitely Oh Holy Night. It gives me goosebumps. And when you're listening to Oh Holy Night... Are you wearing your Christmas jumper? I do have a Christmas jumper. It's not super Christmassy, but I have a lot of knitwear, which I wear all throughout the year. So everyone thinks I'm wearing Christmas jumpers all of the time. Mm -hmm. And Christmas cracker jokes, yay or nay? A yay for on Christmas day, but a solid nay any other time of the year. I think I'd have to agree with you on that. So our first episode is Christmas. So we're focusing on a Christmas theme. We are actually looking at finding Christmas not always to be as perfect as we anticipate. Mm. Um, can you tell us why we're looking at that, Chris? I think increasingly every year Christmas is getting earlier and earlier and there's just such a heavy expectation on making the perfect day. The draw to Christmas is quite a long one and... The pressure is just getting more and more to make just the one day just everything it can be. And I think for a lot of people, I certainly know for me, when it gets to that day, however much effort I put into it, it's never quite going to match up to what I want it to be. Mm, for sure. And I think it's so easy for even us as Christians to forget what Christmas is even all about. Mm. We get so focused in all of the bits and bobs around it that we forget that that isn't even the reason for it anyway. Mm. So I chatted to Maureen Greaves, one of our yes. church army evangelists. Um, I know that you know a little bit about her. She has a BEM, that's the British Empire Medal. It's an award for meritorious civil service. And she has one of the most unique and harrowing, but also incredible and hope-filled stories. She has just released her book, Ready for Christmas. It's called Murder on Christmas Eve. It is an absolutely fantastic read. There'll be a link in the show notes after this. Quite a heavy title. Yeah. Um, but we think Maureen is incredible and her story is one of hope. 
not of despair. So we hope you enjoy listening. Hello Maureen, Good welcome. Morning. Thank you so much for joining us um, for our first ever podcast. Thank you for um, asking me. We're really excited to have you. Would you like to just give a quick intro of who you are and talk about who you are as an evangelist? Okay, uh, I'm Maureen Greaves and I work and live in High Green, right on the northern edge of Sheffield. The area that I work in is very mixed. It's got an extremely poor area mm-hmm. that Sheffield Council give the number 10 for as being one of the most deprived area. And I do all sorts, Anna. Amazing. Um, I do, uh, I run a shop that uh, came out of my work. Um, when I used to visit people and I saw that they were in need, I tried to help them by creating a little shop in my garage. And wow. that got too little, so we, we spread it into a proper shop now. You know, got a shop. And um, I do baptism visiting. I love meeting people on the street. Uh, if people are on the street for any reason, I love to stop and say good morning to them. Uh, and I always say to them when they leave, remember God loves you. Mm. So as an evangelist, my work is very um, and all-encompassing, really. Yeah. Um, but I do love just meeting people in any situation uh, and telling them that God loves them. That's amazing. Um, So one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you is because it's approaching Christmas now. And we often see that Christmas is promoted as this kind of picture perfect thing. The adverts, the things being sold in supermarkets are all to make Christmas this perfect image. Like a fairy tale. Like a fairy tale, exactly. But we know that that isn't always the case. And we know that actually this wasn't the case for you. So we wanted to talk to you about that. But before we get to that bit, Mm -hmm. can you take us back to Christmas Eve 2012 and talk to us about, kind of set us the scene for... Okay, well, um, Alan, my my late husband, uh, was a very gifted musician uh, and he played and, and led the music group in the churches that we attended. And every year he played the organ or piano for the midnight service. And so on this particular Christmas Eve, um, our daughter Alison had come home. We hadn't seen her for two years. Uh, It was just wonderful. Uh, She'd come home three days before Christmas Day. And we'd had three days of of great excitement. She she brought the little children home that she's adopted with her friend. Um, She's come home with a friend. And it was really a lovely lead up to Christmas Day. And uh, we'd done an evening reminiscing, talking about Alison's work and my work and so on. And then it got to about 10 past 11. And at that time, Alan always set off to play the organ for the midnight service. Uh, When we had children, I no longer went with him. But I always go to bed and I always stay awake. Because she usually walks in around 10 past 12. And I say, you know, a happy Christmas to him. And obviously we then go to sleep. But at midnight, there was a knock on the door to say that um, there'd been an accident. Uh, Alan had had an accident to his head. Mm -hmm. So I said to the police officer, oh, gosh, gosh, I'll go straight down to the hospital. Where is he? I'll pick him up and get him home. And hopefully he'll be all right for tomorrow, even if he's got to stay in the house and and such like. And so... Um, this I, I do remember the police officers looking quite stunned by that. 
but I couldn't take in what they were uh, kind of suffering from because they, Alan was in a very distressed state when they saw him. He was actually having an effective fear because of the great damage to his head. Um, but the word accident meant for me that I could bring him home. So at this point, you were still thinking about how the perfect Christmas yes, you were going to have indeed, and the fact yeah, that your daughter's yeah, Everything was going to be lovely. Like yeah. And we'd planned a lovely week mm. because Alison had only just got home. And so I went down to the hospital by myself um, I entered into the uh, A&E. I was asked if I could wait a little while. Uh, and I stood against the wall in the corridor and I sang Silent Night. Out loud, there's nobody there. And uh, and of course, Silent Night. Um, it's all about a still night, mm. a calm night, a holy night. And I did have a sense that it was a holy night. And, um, and, and then the consultant came and, and um, I could see straight away that it was not an accident to Alan's head. I knew it was serious. And he sat down and he, and, and he said to me, I'm afraid your husband has been beaten on his head, very badly beaten on his head. And then he just stopped talking. And so I said to him, is he dying? And he said, I'm afraid so. Or it could be that way. Mm -hmm. And so um, my immediate response was, two things. I remember very clearly me in my spirit saying, Heavenly Father, please take me on this very, very unexpected. And I know it's going to be a very painful journey. Please go with me. And somehow, let this be for your glory. And then as I was almost approaching the room where Alan was, I said, please help me, because I loved him so much. We had a, a very ordinary marriage. We had our house and our do's. I soaked and Alan took a walk. Uh, but we were really in love when we married and we stayed in love. And we were spiritual partners as well. We prayed together. Uh, and and I just knew it was going to be awful. Mm. And when I saw Alan, uh, I knew he was going to die. I, I could see the damage to his head. And he died. He actually died three days later. And I have to say, I was absolutely heartbroken. I couldn't envisage life without him. We'd been married 40 years and we had been so close. Um, you know, we, we love nature, we love walking together. We did a lot together. We did do things separate, um, but he would lead and I would preach or in, in church. We went evangelizing together. It was a huge loss. Uh, and I mean, a huge, huge loss. And, um, and then eventually, of course, um, two, two young men, Ashley and Jonathan, were uh, discovered to be mm. the people who had, who had killed Alan. That is just an awful thing to happen to anyone on any day. Mm -hmm. But to happen on Christmas, it feels yes. even worse somehow. It does. It's a strange thing because, strangely enough, I thought back on that, Carol. You know, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Well, of course, it is for many people. But holy night isn't calm and silent because out there, there are people who are living on the streets still. Uh, there are people out there who have got broken families. Uh, there are people out there that have got debt problems. Um, there are people out there that are lonely. Mm, that's very true. And so that Christmas back in 2012, how did you spend Christmas Day itself? We spent it all day at hospital. Um, by the time Alan had been seen to, it, it, they transferred him to the Hallamshire Hospital um, because there was a unit there that dealt with brain injuries. And... Um, 
the family, my brother, Alan was an only child, but I have lots of brothers and sisters. And all the brothers and sisters and uh, nephews and nieces all came to say goodbye to Alan. We knew it could be any time that his heart would stop beating. And uh, we literally spent all day with individuals going in and couples going in to say goodbye to him. And then it came to tea time when for the first time, um, really from the minute that the, phone, uh, the, the, the police knocked on my door, I was suddenly alone with Alan for the first time. Uh, and I took his hand and I thought, today, Christmas day, in a couple of hours, three or four hours, uh, I would have been leading the service and Alan would have been preaching at the Christmas day service. Um, and if you belong to a Church of England, um, most services have the Lord's Prayer in. Uh, now I've become a Christian many, many years ago. I'd become a Christian as a young girl of 18. And I absolutely knew the forgiveness of, of, of Jesus. I absolutely knew um, that it wasn't just forgiveness that Jesus came for, um, it was to offer us fullness of life. And so I had lived with this forgiveness. I had experienced it. Uh, there were things that I was ashamed of. Um, and as I was holding Alan's hand, um, I thought, I cannot, with all integrity, I cannot know the, the forgiveness of God in my life for all these years and not forgive those who have done this to Alan. Now, of course, I wasn't in a position to know who done it to Alan, but I trusted the, that the outcome would be that someone would be found. Um, and so I remembered also that, that I was leading the service and I would have said, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And Alan was going to preach. And what was he going to preach on? That the saviour of the world had come to be our saviour, to free us from the consequences and the burdens of our sins. And so I took Alan's hand and held it even tighter. Uh, and I said to God, uh, can you give me the grace and the ability to fully and freely and always forgive those who have done this to Alan, who have murdered him? Because obviously, although he was still alive, he was going to die very soon. Can I also ask that it will be forever, that I'll never go to bed hating them. I'll never walk through the streets wanting to talk nasty about them. I'll never say anything in front, in front of my children or my family or my loved ones uh, that would not be appropriate about them in my eyes as a Christian. But also, can I do something else, Father? Can I actually place them in your hands? Because then I don't have to think about them and I don't have to carry the weight of them. And I can trust you to be at work in their lives, in your mercy and in your judgment and in your love. And I know that you will look after them as they need looking That's after. That's incredible. I, I think one of the things that really is powerful about your story is the fact that you forgave those two young men who murdered Alan and that you were able to do it so quickly. Do you... Mm. Do you know how you were able to do that so quickly? Because I feel like a lot of people wouldn't get to that place until maybe yes. even weeks or months later. Yes, yes. I think it was a combination of two things. I think it was a combination of the fact that I had sought to walk closely to God in my belief in him. It wasn't a half-hearted response to, to give my life to God. Um, it was a full-on response. And I did it as a young woman, so I'd lived many years in my relationship with God. 
And I had known that I needed his forgiveness. In fact, on Christmas Day, Alan and I would be saying that Lord's Prayer, asking him to forgive us for the sins we committed. Um, and we all in our lifetime, and it's difficult to say it for many of us, do things that we're thoroughly ashamed of. And we hope nobody ever finds out, whether it be our thinking or our speaking or our doing. And so um, I was aware um, on Christmas Day of all days, on Christmas morning, um, that I too, an old man, Alan Sand, he too needed the forgiveness of God. And so in a sense, I was placing Alan and I alongside of those that had done that to Alan. Um, also, it was indeed Christmas Day, the Saviour had come. Um, it just seemed impossible for me to recognise um, that we were celebrating the Jesus that I had loved all these years and followed uh, and told people about and not express the forgiveness that Jesus had given me to those who had done this to Alan. Uh, and in fact, um, when the police came three weeks later and said, we have caught these two men, um, do you want to go and down to magistrate's court and, and, and in a sense see them? Uh, and I said, yes, I would. And, and Alison and Emma, our two daughters, went with me. Um, and one of the things as we were going down to court is I remember thinking, I, I really meant that prayer. Uh, I have never felt any different uh, about the, the situation. Uh, I, I have hardly thought about these two men in any other way than um, what I'm being told by the police almost. Uh, but what will I feel like when I see them in the flesh? Um, and of course, it was it was a very um, emotional atmosphere in the court um, because their families were there and they were sitting right in front of us on the bench in front of us. They were very deeply distressed. We, we were quiet, we pay. And suddenly they walked into a perspex box um, and, and they sat down and, and um, they were both looking towards their families. They didn't look at me, um, but it meant I could see them full on. Um, and I looked at them uh, and my first immediate thought was, I'm glad that they're in your hands. Mm. Uh, I'm glad I don't have to think about them. I'm glad I don't have to carry them. Uh, I'm glad I don't have to go to bed with them at night. And Father, I know that you will deal with them in your grace and your justice and your mercy as you deal with me in your grace and your justice and mercy. And in a sense, again, by God's grace, the forgiveness was still there. Like you perceived that forgiveness as kind of releasing a burden as well and yes. passing something on to yes. God, which is an incredible yes. thing to do, really. Or as people say to me, letting them off. I didn't let them off because I placed them into God's hands. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. So what about Christmas now, Maureen? How well, is that for you? <laughs> Christmas now, first of all, it is a wonderful season. And I absolutely celebrate it as Christmas. Um, I celebrate this wonderful thing uh, of God himself, in a sense, becoming a human being. You know, Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, and so I celebrate it. But also there's an edge on it now. Of course there is. Uh, and as it gets to Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, it starts to feel heavy. Uh, and when I wake up on Christmas Eve, uh, I have that sense of heaviness in me. Now, what I do is I do two things. Uh, I always go and lay a, a reef on the railing where Alan died um, because he died on the street where we live. And I, I'm, I'm gonna walk past it. I've walked past it every year since because I've always led and preached 
the Christmas Day service. Uh, every service I go to, I walk past it. So I go and lay a wreath on the railings and I pray for Ashley and Jonathan and I pray for their families and I pray for others who are in prison who have done something so bad that they're going to be in there a long time. Uh, because I know, because I have read the stories and I've heard the stories, that God can redeem anybody. Uh, God can change anybody. Uh, God can bring somebody like Paul, who was in the Bible, who murdered. King David in the Bible, who murdered. It can give them such a change of heart that they become beautiful people who then will love God and work for God. And, and, and it's all redeemed. The whole picture is redeemed. And so I pray that Ash and Jonathan will especially at Christmas time, not just remember, perhaps, if they do, what they did to Alan, but there's a God who loves them. Mm. Um, and then as Christmas Day, as I go back to the house, I then deliberately switch mode. And I, I, I try and get me will in action, if you want to put I, I try and get me will to override my emotions and to remember that Alan's in heaven. Um, uh, we used to sing together, Alan and I, because if he was trying out a new song or a new chorus or a new hymn, he would say, come listen to this. And we both love singing. Um, and I sometimes put on a bit of worship music and I always, almost then, with my will, imagine Alan in heaven and there we are singing together on Christmas Eve, you know. Um, and in, in a sense, it brings me back out of my sad emotions into a spirit of being able to see Christmas Eve and Christmas Day for what they are. Mm, and kind of celebrate the day, even though yes. there is sadness there, I do. there's still a celebration because ultimately you know where Alan is. Absolutely. And when oh, it makes a huge difference. Mm. Uh, when you lose anybody, it makes a huge difference. And, and for us as Christians to know that he's in heaven, not as you know, because of good works, because of what Jesus did for every all mankind. Mm. Um, I was wondering if you had any advice or something that you would like to say to anybody that finds Christmas a really hard season for whatever reason, whether you have some yeah, words yeah. that you can share for them. Well, hardness comes at any time. Uh, I, I come across many, many people in my work who suffer all year with various things. Um, life can be hard and sometimes it's so hard um, either mentally, emotionally or physically, that you can't bring yourself out of it. You can't find a way through it. And somehow Christmas with this fairy tale uh, wrap around and all these gifts and, and, and the things that you see out there, you know, their decorations that give you this kind of Christmas glow um, so can sometimes make it worse. The only advice that I believe that I can truly give people is for them to remember the Christmas story because the Christmas story was a hard story. Uh, the Christmas story begins with a, a young girl who must have been absolutely traumatised, even though she said, so be it, by the fact that she was going to have a baby by the Holy Spirit and having to tell her parents and her fiancé mm. and, and knowing that everybody would be laughing at her and, 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 and saying she's a liar and, of course, she's had sex and so on. Um, it goes on, the story, to her not being able to find a place to give birth. It goes on to knowing that King Gerard was wanting to kill them and kill her, her son especially. Uh, so the Christmas story actually is a traumatised story. It, it's a hard story. It's a story of people living life in a hard way. And if they can remember that story, they can also remember that actually God was with them. And that's what I feel, that God is with you 
even Jesus himself, right at the beginning, was born in such poverty. And therefore, you can trust God to know what you're going through. You can trust God to somehow bring you some help, even if the help is changing you within. But you can, it can absolutely. One of the things that, that, that was very real to me is I believe that God was walking the journey with me. When I said that prayer, Father, please take me on this very unexpected, painful journey. I believe he did. And I think if people can believe that, that God loves them enough to walk the journey with them and to remember the Christmas story of what it really was, I hope they will get some, some relief and blessing out of that. And perhaps after Christmas is over, continue um, encouraging God and, and letting God and believing that God wants to continue that journey with them all their life through. Mm. And that's that thing of Emmanuel, which we often sing yes. at Christmas. And yes. it means God with us, doesn't it? So yes, absolutely. that's powerful. It's, it's very powerful in itself. Mm. God with us. Yeah, definitely. Well, the last thing I want to say to you, Maureen, is have a really wonderful Christmas. Enjoy that time with your family. I will. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Chris, what was the biggest thing that stood out for you from Maureen's interview? I think Maureen's story is just so inspirational because it's heartbreaking, but even from the moment it's happened, or even before Maureen really knew what was happening, her faith was just solid, knowing that she was going to continue to believe that God is in control and even to the extent that she could forgive the two people doing what they did because she didn't have to carry that burden but she could give that to God instead. Mm. And I guess in essence she was living out Jesus in her own life mm. which is powerful and particularly at Christmas when Jesus came to live out the Jesus life mm. is big. And also the amount of opportunities she has had to share who he is as a result of this really difficult time is huge. And like she says, to have this opportunity is something that is God-given, even if she knows that God did not make this happen. But to be able to use it for his glory and to help other people know his goodness, that's big. And I think although very few people have a story like Maureen's, it just goes to show that whatever you do to try and make Christmas perfect, things will happen or Christmas, for whatever reason, won't be everything that we hope it will be. So there has to be something more hopeful for us to hang on to than the idea of a perfect Christmas day. For sure. I think that's very true. Kind of linking into this theme, you've written a blog, haven't you, Chris? Yes, I wrote a blog called Avoiding Disappointment at Christmas. And it's all about just this, really. It's about what happens when the, the hype and the expectation and the build-up to Christmas. And even if you have the most perfect Christmas day, how when Boxing Day rolls around, there's just such a big anticlimax. And what do we do with that? Like, what there must be something more than just the build up to Christmas. That's cool. And so that'll be on the Church Army website from Friday the 20th. Um, you can find it at churcharmy.org forward slash blog. And you can actually also find much more about Church Army, some great stories, other blogs on the website. So that's 
churcharmy.org. Don't forget, you can connect to us on social media through Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you enjoy listening to us, please let us know at hello at churcharmy.org. Thank you so much for listening. And we really hope and pray that you would have a lovely Christmas. But we also would love you to remember that if things don't go as perfectly as you wish, that actually Jesus is with you and he's the reason for the season. Everyone who's part of the Church Army, we wish you a very happy